On this episode of Hit Subscribe, we talk to Carrie Crawford, Director of Research and Strategy at Simple Focus. By day, Carrie focuses on client work. By night, she's a researcher for UX best practices and subscription cancellations. Her research into cancellation language before the checkout is some of the most unique that's been published. She explains how empowering potential subscribers to understand how to use the subscriber portal could pay dividends in retention and customer satisfaction, leading to higher lifetime value. We also talk about a few brands that do this well and one that doesn't. There are plenty of lessons for brands of all sizes to learn about how to communicate their value proposition in a way that doesn't come off like a hard sale while also staying true to the goal of retention and revenue. Carrie, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about Simple Focus. So I am formally the Director of Research and Strategy at Simple Focus, and we're an agency that does primarily, like we do UX and UI, design, research, development. We're kind of a full service like digital shop. And then I know that you have a certain special role there. You're doing a lot of research on subscriptions and on subscription fatigue. So kind of just outline, give us the broad strokes of what kind of research you're doing, maybe how you got into it, and we'll kind of go from there. Yeah. So at the beginning of the year, I was kind of told that I could take you know time when I'm not doing client work to pursue a research project of my choice, as long as I was like writing about it. I can't remember exactly like how I chose this. I think I was having some conversations with some friends or something and and this kind of came up. But I started thinking about when you're subscribing for something, like a lot of us have a ton of subscriptions, like whether it's for physical products or services, streaming services or news or, you know, recurring donations. And I started thinking about like, all of them have, you always have the ability to cancel, but how much difference does it make to whether or not people sign up if they know about your cancellation policy before they sign up? You know, I'm not looking at the cancellation flow at all. I'm looking at how these companies talk about canceling before you sign up. To my knowledge, it's the first time anyone's really looked at this. That's been the hot topic is like, what are cancellation strategies or what are we talking about retention? It's not any of that. It's the pre-side. Before you sign up, can you cancel? How easy is it to cancel? What kind of buttons do I click? All that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, I wasn't able to really find much on that pre-sign up. And really, I'm kind of looking at the sign up flow. Like, how do we talk about cancellation within the sign up flow? How much information is too much information? Does that change in different contexts? Like, before I started this, I asked the question of just my social networks of like, when you sign up for a recurring product or service, what are the questions that you have before you sign up? And a really high percentage of those people, like more than 50%, were like, I want to know that I can cancel and how right. easy it is to cancel. So it's like, okay, cool. This is like a thing that people care about. And totally. You know, the big question is if people have adequate information about canceling and, you know, adequate can be defined in a lot of ways. But if people have adequate information about canceling before they sign up, does it increase the likelihood that they will sign up? You're bringing me back to college days, even the way you speak. And, you know, there's different definitions of adequate and how do we identify this? And it's interesting to hear these conversations because so many conversations I have are all theory based and it's all cancellation and retention, all these kinds of things. So it's really interesting to hear purely from a research perspective, how this has kind of come about. So one of the terms you use really early is subscription fatigue. Can you define subscription fatigue first and foremost? Yeah. So it's where that we have a lot of subscription. Almost everything is available on a (laughs) subscription basis right now. When I started this research, I was like, I don't consider myself much of a subscriber. 
And so I looked at my own, like I went through my bank statements to like look at my own recurring purchases. So whether they're like goods or services or donations. And I have a lot more than I thought I had. Like, I mean, I knew I had them, but when I actually like made that list and like looked at the number, I've got like 20. Wow. And I would have thought I had like 10. But, you know, when you start getting into it, okay, I have Netflix, I have Hulu, I have, you know, recurring donations to like five different places. Like when you actually put it all together, it's like, oh my God, this is a lot. Not to mention the physical products, things like deodorant or toothpaste or coffee or things like that. I'm not much of a physical product subscriber, but I have been in the past. I've done some physical product subscriptions, but Mm -hmm. I don't know why I'm not. I'm just, I'm just not. Everyone's got their own thing. Some people do tons of physical subscriptions and no donations or no digital things. So it's, it really is flexible. But yeah, that fatigue of like not knowing what all you have, not realizing that you're getting something sent to you that you're like, wait, I don't need this right now or, you know, and not knowing that it's coming. The fatigue around like managing those subscriptions and then the anxiety that people have signing up for them. Like, should I sign up for this? How hard is it going to be to cancel? Is this going to like become a problem? Is this, you know, am I going to forget that I have it? Can I manage my subscription? It's a similar conversation I have in my head when it's like a big ticket item. So it's like, mm-hmm. do I need to spend $150 on this thing? Whatever it is, you kind of go through the same thing, same process. Do Is this worth it? Is this really going to help my life? All that kind of stuff. Subscriptions, although the dollar value may be lower, it's really interesting to see that same kind of fatigue where it's like, do I need another $6 a month thing that I know is going to hit this month and I know it's going to hit next month? And hopefully $6 a month doesn't really move the needle for anybody. But at the same point, like that's it's going to build up over time and it's going to be a lot of things to kind of keep track of and cancel and all that. Yeah. And there is stuff, you know, that like I have a subscription to a website called Defector, which is a mostly like a sports media, but it's all like employee owned. Um, And so I subscribe to them mostly just as like, I love their project. I love what they're doing and I love how they're doing it. And so I'm like, yeah, I'll give you all like 10 bucks a month. I'm happy to like support this work. But I think also, you know, people's circumstances can change, right? Like you, you might right now be like totally comfortable having all these recurring payments or having these products that just appear at your house. But, (laughs) you know, you, you may have a change in your economic situation. You make more money, you make less money, you're moving, something happens. It then becomes like, oh man, I've got to like actually go back and think about all this stuff. And then I've got to track it down and figure it out. Absolutely. My friends just had a baby and they had the same kind of conversation where it's like, do we need this thing now that we're going to be just at home all the time and with this baby and we don't have time to do anything else? Mm -hmm. And so you end up canceling stuff. And do we need to add subscriptions for the baby? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Total changes. And you know, Ah. you might need to cancel those because if you're subscribing to diapers, that kid's not going to wear diapers forever. Exactly. Yeah. There's some fun subscription models we can get into maybe a little bit later if we have some time there. But the other one I want to define really early on is dark patterns. Can you define that for me? Yeah. So a dark pattern is a sneaky little bit of design trickery that, well, it's not necessarily like does, but it can force a user to do something that they don't want or mean to do. So an example of a dark pattern would be setting up a funnel, like a purchase funnel in a way that prevents users from comparing prices. So if you don't have any idea how much something is going to cost, you can't compare it to the competition or you can't compare, you know, one service tier to another. Or, you know, automatically charging a card at the end of a free trial, like requiring a card for the free trial, then like auto charging it without notifying you. So things like that, that can just get someone to make a choice that they wouldn't necessarily want to make. 
The one that we see pretty frequently at Recharge is sign up, cancel anytime you want, but with the small text that says like three month minimum. So it's like, okay, well, now you're kind of pulling people into the subscription without the understanding of how they can cancel and putting a restriction on that. Right. Like you're telling them that, yeah, you can cancel. And yes, you can technically. Like a lawyer would say, yes, technically you can cancel anytime you want. But as a user, if I think like, okay, I'm going to cancel anytime I want, I think about, okay, did I pay annually or monthly, you know, and all that. But if I have a monthly subscription that I feel like I can cancel anytime I want, if I cancel it today, I would expect to not pay for it next month. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to dig into the actual research now. You split this up into three different pieces. There's a physical subscription component. There's this like virtual digital subscription component. And then there's the donations piece. Being at Recharge, a lot of what we work on daily is the physical subscription. So that's what we're going to dive into a lot more today. We will have some time at the end to talk through services and donations, charitable donations, things like that. But the physical subscription part, it seems to circle around one question that you brought up really early on, which is what happens when people are given information about cancellation before setting up a recurring purchase? Does that make you more or less likely to do it? So on that physical subscription purchase research section, you dove into 10 different companies. So I'll kind of pass it off to you. You want to start talking through a little bit about some of the good companies, some of the bad companies, some of the things that that you're seeing and some of the commonalities between them. Sure. Yeah. So I guess to start, like when I started doing this research, I didn't really have like a grand plan for doing it. I do want to get to a point where I am doing some testing around like different patterns and stuff. But in order to get to that, I had to know what patterns exist and like how these different models are being treated. I started with like these UX reviews of 10 companies that do products, 10 that do services, 10 charitable organizations. So with the product companies, a lot of the patterns that you see with product companies like kind of carry throughout. Some of the things that I've noticed is I basically all 10 mentioned cancellation somewhere during signup. Now it's like to varying degrees. Yeah, (laughs) it is to varying degrees of like informative, but all of them at least tell you that you can cancel at some point. And it's if it's only mentioned once, it's typically located like at the step where you make your payment. But you know, you sometimes you see it throughout the funnel. And it's also typically presented in pretty obvious places, like on the screen, you know, where someone will notice it, where it's like visually connected. Right. To things in a way that you're not just like scanning teeny tiny small print. Like generally it's somewhere where it's like, oh, you will see it. It doesn't feel out of place. Right, right. With products specifically, a lot of the product companies, so like 70% of the ones I looked at mentioned modification along with cancellation. So, you know, being able to skip or pause or like change the level of subscription that you have. That's kind of that reassurance of like, hey, like we're going to let you like change this if you want, or you can cancel it. It's whatever you want to do. So yeah, and it's often mentioned like alongside cancellation. Okay. Yeah. And then the other big thing is that there's usually with these subscription product companies, there's more information, like it's in the funnel somewhere, but there's more detailed information about like how cancellation actually works. If you look in the FAQs and not all companies have their FAQs in like an obvious place. There were a few that I was having to like just go to the URL and like type various FAQ extensions until I just hope it pops up. Yeah. Yeah. Just like going (laughs) off of like how I know sites are typically structured, like all the different ways that it might be. But yeah, there's a usually something in there that actually explains what the cancellation terms are and like what the process is. So you don't get yourself in that situation of like, yeah, you can cancel any time. However, like it's going to be three months. So I know we don't have necessarily the data from these companies. And and you said you're working on running some actual tests here, but 
just from your perspective doing all this research, is there a difference between things like using icons or using like blocks of paragraph text? Like, are there easier or harder ways to determine those cancellation flows? So I think a lot of it is about placement. The ones that I felt like did the best job of being in the flow, of being like very visible and calling attention to themselves are when you have like an icon and text pair. And if there's a link to like more detailed information that either opens a modal or tooltip or takes you to the FAQs. I know a lot of companies are very hesitant to let someone leave a funnel once they've gotten in. So, you know, you do see some modals and tooltips and stuff kind of giving that more detailed information, which is great. It's more about page placement, like where you're putting it in terms of someone's, you know, reading through or like following through steps. You want to put it in a place where it's going to be really visible if they need that information that's there. So using like bold text along with kind of regular text with an icon. So let's do a couple actual examples. I know we have two good ones and a bad one. Let's sandwich them. Let's do what's what's an example of a good one. uh, And we'll kind of talk through that and then we'll go good, bad, good. All right. So an example of a good one would be Blue Apron. Blue Apron and HelloFresh, I looked at both. They're very similar. Like their process is like almost identical. But Blue Aprons is a little bit better when it comes to targeting mark cancellation because they mention it in two places. So Mm -hmm. it's on the very first step where you're like choosing what you want. And it's right by the continue button on that step. You're going to see it. It's like right below the continue button. You're looking for that continue button. Yeah. And you know, that's like the the dominant action. Yeah. So it's like right there. And then it's also at the payment step in fine print with a link to the FAQs in terms of service, but also in bold text right next to that place order button. So you're getting that reassurance right when you're taking that action. So they're like connecting reassurance and action. They also do a really good job of making it clear that you can make changes. So they, I mean, it's hard to know, like when I tried to go through these signup flows, like choosing what I would choose to make it realistic. I was like, okay, what would make the most sense for my life as it is now? Mm-hmm. I live alone. And so like with Blue Apron, I'm like, I don't know how much food this actually is. And I don't, you know, I was kind of having a hard time like figuring that out. Right. But they do a good job of saying, you know, you can skip orders. You can pause the service if you want to change your delivery date. Does it get here on Saturday or does it get here on Tuesday? Like you can manage all that. And then there are FAQs on the first step of the flow. Like a lot of these companies bring FAQs in to the signup flow. And there are FAQs there and they don't specifically mention cancellation, but they do talk about modification and provide that link. I know it's a balance, right? Like you gotta, you want people to buy the thing. Right. And so you don't want to put it in their head that they might not want to. You know, I feel like they strike a really good version of that balance. Good. The balance is, is huge. It's like returns also. We're like, we're stripping in returns. There's always a balance between suggesting that you can return anything you want at any time with no reasons, because that puts a lot of risk on the company, versus just kind of a quick, easy lineup like, look, if you don't like it, we're happy to return it. There's a little bit of consumer relaxation there. The anxiety kind of goes away a little bit because you can say, oh, if I don't like this, I can return it. Or, you know, oh, if I don't like the subscription, I can always go down in how much quantity I'm getting from Blue Apron. Or if I love it, I can go up or I can pause or ship it or whatever. Well, and I think with subscription services, products and services, I've I've seen this with both, is there's this assumption that as a user, you have an account. Uh, Mm -hmm. That assumption breaks down when you get into donations. Like it completely breaks down. But with services and products, like there's this assumption that I have an account and we've all used the internet long enough to know that like, if I have an account, I will be able to manage my account. And so there's this assumption that like, if in the funnel, I am like Blue Apron just says, you know, cancel at any time. In a lot of ways, that's all I need because I know I have an account that I can manage. And I assume, okay, you're telling me I can cancel. I know I have an account. And you're telling me I can manage my account by like pausing, skipping, modifying. Yep. 
So I assume I can also cancel. So it's like, if you have that account, you don't have to say as much. You don't have to over explain. It's just this like baked in assumption that if you have ever signed up for anything that is recurring, like if you have a Netflix subscription, you understand how an account works. Right. And what's Netflix up to? Three billion members now. So I'm pretty well, sure. I mean, it's about to be more because they're taking away your ability to share. Darn you, Netflix. We'll do another episode on the Netflix breakdown there. Yeah. <laughs> so let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me one that could use a little improvement. Okay. In the piece I wrote about it, I labeled it as the darkest of patterns. <laughs> um, <laughs> So there's this company called Thrive Market, and it's an online grocery store. And it does mention in the sign-up flow that you can cancel. But they have a commitment to confusing wording and dark patterns like <laughs> throughout the site that made me feel like so weird. And I actually did consider using them during the pandemic because, you know, a lot of people switched grocery to yeah. grocery subscriptions. When I was going through this process looking at it for the study, I remembered why I didn't. And it's because it was just so opaque. From the time the homepage loads and you're looking at it, it seems like the user experience like just doesn't matter because literally like every call to action takes you to the sign up funnel. Let's talk about the homepage here. They had two buttons. Sure. And granted, you know, this may have changed since I looked at it. I looked at it a couple months ago. They had two buttons. Save money on your grid is like framed as a question. And one button said yes. And there is a button that was the same size and color next to it that said, I don't like saving money. Both of those buttons took you to the sign-up flow. <laughs> like, so no matter what you do, you're going to the same place. That's the definition of a dark pattern right there. Yeah, that is really dark. And it was also very difficult to actually view the products because I was like, well, I want to know before I sign up for this, like, are they going to yeah, have, absolutely. especially like for something like groceries, I want to know, are they going to have like the stuff that I need or does it make more sense for me to just like keep going to the store? Right. And it was really hard. To actually like see what products they had. It took some like work to get there. Like you had to kind of, it wasn't in the places where you thought it was going to be. You had to kind of go through, like do it the hard way. Mm -hmm. The sign up flow mentions cancellation, like the saving step, but only in the context of annual memberships, which they try really hard to force you into. So they have monthly and they have annual, but they like go hard on annual, which I mean, I get it, but you know, they only talk about cancellation in the context of those annual memberships. And so. Right. You know, if you're reading it really closely, you may be like, wait, what can I, but if it's monthly, can I still, and they talk about modification too in that context. So it's like, oh, well, if I have monthly, can I not modify? So, you know, right. it feels like it should apply across the board. And then it's implied that you have the option to set up auto ship, but at no point, like on the homepage, it kind of says, you know, you set up auto ship, but at no point in the sign up flow before you pay, do they tell you that you'll be automatically signed up for it on your first order? So it, like, oh. the homepage makes it sound like it's an option. Oh. The sign-up flow, it's mandatory and you don't know it. Like, it doesn't tell you that. The way that I found it out was I managed to find their FAQs by following, like, the URL extension model. And that's how I found out that I would be automatically signed up for AutoShip. Very interesting. So for anyone who's still curious about how to define dark patterns, this is the example. This is the perfect example. It's yeah. things that try to force you into a subscription model without understanding exactly what you're doing or not understanding the power you have of controlling your subscription, modifications, canceling, all that kind of stuff. It made me kind of feel like as a user, and granted, I was like looking at this in a way that a lot of people probably are not looking at things when they're sure. signing up for them because I was looking at something so specific. But it was so convoluted and so shady that it made me feel like if I did sign up and I did want to cancel, that it would be just like a huge pain in the butt to do it. Like, 
it would just be so hard. And that kind of made me like, would make me hesitate too. It's like, oh, you're already giving me the impression that you're shady. Right. And so it's not making me want to like enter into a relationship. It's like, like you meet people and they have red flags. It was kind of like that <laughs> with a company. That's amazing. Let's bring the energy back up. Let's go back to one other good one. Let's close it with one good example and then we'll move on to a couple other things. So this one's actually my favorite of all the ones that I looked at. And it's Who Gives a Crap, which I actually, I use Who Gives a Crap. I don't use it on subscription because like I find it very difficult to calculate how much toilet paper one one would need. Um, they actually do have a calculator on their website for that, which I love. And I'm like, I want to meet these people that made this calculator. But their model is great. Like the way they do this is great because on the product detail page, like they've got, you know, one time or subscribe. Subscribe mm-hmm. is selected by default, but it makes it very easy to switch it to one time. And it's like shame free. Like they don't shame you for wanting to make a one time purchase, which that's another dark pattern is like if an interface or a system is like shaming you. It's like right. when you get like those pop-ups and it's like, oh, you don't want to learn cool tips. You don't want to save money by subscribing. Yeah. yeah. Like I kind of want to be shamed for my choices. Right. But they also treat order flexibility as a feature. So like modification, cancellation, they have this modal like on their product detail page. You can open this modal and it's so like clear and well-written and they use microcopy to like remind you that you can cancel and modify. And, and they've got this like really easy to find help section. Also, they do my favorite thing, which is call out pre-shipment reminder emails. Most of the companies I looked at didn't do that. But they tell you like, think about like toilet paper. If you buy like a 24 pack of toilet paper and you live alone, it's going to be a couple months before, I mean, theoretically, before you need another shipment. So it's really easy to forget that you have it because, you know, it's not something that you're getting shipped every month or regularly. But they tell you that like, hey, a couple days before we're going to ship it, we're going to email you and remind you that we're going to ship it and give you the option to like skip that order or push it back or like cancel it. I mean, it makes me feel like they're on my team. It makes me feel like they want what's best for me as a user, which after looking at the other one was wonderful. I love that. That's a really good good way to phrase that is they make they make you feel like you're actually part of that community they're building. And it's not just us selling you a product. There's a there's a relationship there. Yeah. It it made me feel like if I did want to cancel, like if I did sign up for a recurring purchase and I did want to cancel, that it would actually be easy because they're giving me all these tools and they're like trying to make it as easy as possible. And I think it's honestly in their best interest as a business to do that because they're not being shady about it. They're not trying to like force me into a subscription through trickery. They're just saying like, this is an option. If you do this, here's how we will handle it. We'll send you reminders. Well, it's like they have a clear understanding of how people use the things that they sell. As a quick aside, talk a little bit more about that upcoming order email. That's something that I personally have talked a lot about. I think it's a really powerful tool for awareness. Yeah. Um, there generally is like a kind of spike on cancels because you're saying, hey, we're about to charge your credit card. But I think there's a lot of opportunities in there for content or education or upsells, cross-sells, things like that. Talk a little bit more. And I know this is something that ARPU does as well. They do really, really well. So so the reminder emails, yeah, it is a risk. You do see those like little spikes. But at the same time, for a user, those reminder emails are great. And they can also be, you're letting someone know, hey, this thing is about to happen. This thing that you can send it to a while back and it's about to happen. It also, those reminder emails are especially good the less often you interact with that product or service. Like if you have like an annual, you pay for Amazon Prime on an annual basis. 
Yep. I have no idea when my like annual date is. Right. In that situation, if I get a reminder email like, hey, in three days, we're going to charge your card. That company doesn't know how much money I have in my bank account. They don't know how long since it's been that I got paid. They don't know if I'm still employed. They don't know. So like having that reminder email gives the user a lot of flexibility to make the adjustments that they need to make or just be like, great, I'm informed. Or, you know, it's a great way to give them that opportunity. It doesn't have to say like, do you want to cancel like your whole subscription? But it's a great way to give them the opportunity to like, hey, do you want to skip this order? Do you want to push this order back? Or do you want to like pause for a minute? So you don't lose the relationship entirely, but you're still like putting the control with the user because you're informing them of what's going to happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we talked earlier that this is really only part one of your research. We were planning on digging into just this piece. I do want to ask you, is there anything drastically different or anything that you want to call out about digital subscriptions, virtual subscriptions, and uh, donations as well? Yeah, so services are are different. They follow a lot of the same patterns. You see a lot of annual payment versus monthly payment in a way that I don't think is as common with product subscriptions because you know it's a physical thing. I had one company, one of the subscription companies didn't mention cancellation at all in their sign up flow, which is okay. interesting. Yeah, but that account assumption still holds up. But you see a lot more annual versus monthly and you see discounts for committing. And you see the services are more likely to offer a free trial if they don't have a free trial, because it seems like the era of free trials is over, which is a bummer. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's really weird. Or like free trials that you don't have to give up a credit card in order to use a free trial, right? Right. But you see a lot of things like if you sign up, we'll give you 50% off your first three months. So your first three months will be five bucks a month, and then it'll go to 10 bucks a month. And so as long as they're telling you what that difference is, but you see right. a lot of like incentives with services for doing annual or for signing up in a way that products, this is just an assumption, but I think that like with products, it's because you were subscribing to a physical good because you need that physical good or you like want that thing on a regular basis. And so you don't, there's not as much like need to incentivize. Mm-hmm. people because it's like, I need to do this. And and you can still find deals and stuff for right. joining, but the services, it was a lot more common. Interesting. And then what about donations? You you brought up the idea of kind of no account. That seems a little interesting. What, what about there? So I'm actually in the middle of the UX review. I'm writing the wrap up for the donations piece right now. And there were only, if I'm remembering, I don't have my notes in front of me, but there were of the 10 I looked at and I looked at a range from, um, you know, kind of small, smaller organizations to large ones, but they had to be, you know, kind of at the national scale. Um, sure. There were only a couple that, you know, made it very clear that mm-hmm. you have an account, like in the Senate process. Some, I was able to find like emails, like for one of the ones that I donate to that I included in this. I went and looked and I found an email that basically like said, you know, in tiny print, like, if you want to cancel, like, here's a link, go to your account. And I was like, I have an account. Right. Um, <laughs> but I think with donations, a lot of donations are using third-party integrations for their donation form, for their right. recurring donation. Because they have like, you know, one-time recurring and then you right. basically like choose your amount, give your contact information, give your payment, you're done. A lot of them are using like Classy or other third-party integrations for right. that. And it's like the bigger organizations, like the Red Cross, that seem to have these custom solutions for it. And those are the ones that I feel like have put more, have followed more of like a service product model. Right, right. Interesting. They're, they're homemade. 
Well, we'll definitely stay tuned for that part three. We'll try to link the first couple parts into our show notes here. So anyone who's reading can take a look through those and read them yourself. Final question here. I want to tie this all back together. So a lot of what we're talking about, I'm sure you see it as well on the agency side at Simple Focus, but a lot of what we talk about is retention. Acquisition is still important, but everything kind of comes back to this retention idea. So I think there's a pretty clear understanding about flexibility and about showing that you can cancel and you have the power to kind of own your brand as you subscribe. But what's the kind of tactical lesson here? What does this mean for brands who are listening? This is coming from me as a person who works in usability. And it is, yeah, I see this a lot, you know, in agency life of trying to balance like the business need versus the user need. Totally. And I think with stuff like this, it is about that balance. Like you can't go so far into caring about once someone signs up, we must keep them. You can't be so like, rigid about that. You can't cling to that so tightly because Mm -hmm. it's not what's best for the user. And so you have to find that balance between like, how do we, you know, try to prevent people from canceling while letting the user know like they can and they can do all these things. And like giving the user the power is better for your brand because user feels like, oh, I can, even if you cancel a subscription, like I used to have a Misfits Market subscription that Mm -hmm. I canceled because I didn't need it anymore. And the cancellation process was super easy. And I still have a very positive perspective of that brand and like would consider using them again in the future because it's like, well, I got what I needed. I stopped needing it. I was able to cancel it. I still get some emails sometimes, but it's like, Mm -hmm. I feel, I still feel like really good and would recommend them. So yeah, it's just about finding that balance and knowing that those people that you're like holding on to so tightly, you might make up for that, that perceived loss. By like being more transparent and being more flexible, you might bring in more people. Like you might bring in people that would make up for it. Totally, totally. Very good way to to close this all out. We have a closing tradition here that I have stolen from a podcast idol of mine, Stephen Bartlett at Diary of a CEO, where the previous guest wrote a question for you. Sometimes they're e-commerce focused, sometimes they are not. Today's question is, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? See, that's hard because I haven't, I've actually never been overseas. I'm going for the first time in September, but I feel like I'm a little limited because, you know, (laughs) I haven't, I don't have a ton of perspective. Okay. I can't give you like a name of a place, but I can give you like an idea. Like I would live in a a city. I'm, I'm I'm a city kind of person. So, you know, medium to big, but not like New York big, because that's a little too much. You either have to be young or rich to make that work for you. Right. And like, so, you know, somewhere like, like a Chicago or a Louisville or, you know, something like I live in Memphis, which, you know, kind of fits that as well, but okay. a city, but that is also like close enough to other places, to nature, to, you know, kind of be able to kind of have a range of experiences. Right. But still, you know, have like vibrant things happening. Interesting. So, yeah. I love the description. I think that totally counts. We don't need an exact city. I think just the, the archetype <laughs> works. Yeah, we'll see after I get back. I'm going to like seven different cities in Europe. So we'll see after I get back if I've changed my mind. Cool. We'll do we'll do an epilogue and we'll do a re-record and see if there's a different <laughs> city in there. <laughs> Carrie, thank you so much for your time. We will link the show notes in the description of this podcast. So if anyone wants to read the actual research, they can do that. But thank you for your time. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. We'd like to thank Carrie once again for joining us. If you're interested in Simple Focus, you can head over to simplefocus.com. 